Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Gracious Lord, we ask you to work through the words of today's sermon so that we may see who the lost sheep are and not be directed by our own legalism or laziness or snobbery, but instead let us be your hand in retrieving them. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the first epistle to Timothy as recorded in chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I give thanks to the one who empowered me, namely Christ Jesus our Lord, that he treated me as trustworthy, appointing me into his ministry. He did this even though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. But I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. The grace of our Lord overflowed on me along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But I was shown mercy for this reason, that in me, the worst sinner, Christ Jesus may demonstrate his unlimited patience as an example for those who are going to believe in him, resulting in eternal life. Now to the King eternal, to the immortal, invisible only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in our gospel lesson, Jesus talks about the good shepherd himself who leaves the 99 sheep behind to go after the lost sheep. And yet it is amazing how even in our sinful nature, we can change those words, pull them out of context, and miss what that looks like. Oftentimes, people in congregations have used that after bullying a church for their opinion, then screaming, I'm not going to come to this church anymore. And then when the church says, you're really acting unchristian, they scream, you've got to go after the one sheep. There are many ways in which this passage has been misunderstood. But, as the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, he really shows us using himself as an example what it looks like when the Savior goes after a lost sheep. So today we will answer the question, what does it look like when our Savior goes after a lost sheep? Let's get right to the point. In verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, although I once was a blasphemer and a persecutor, and then the Greek word that he uses, it takes a sentence to translate it. Translated as an aggressor full of contempt. He hated the Lord, had contempt for the Lord, and he hated any one of his little lambs, anybody who followed him, and he aggressively was hunting them down to have them killed. He had permission from the Sanhedrin, and the Roman government was allowing it. And then he says, but I was given mercy because while being ignorant, I did these things in unbelief. Now, we have to be very careful how we understand that. People today pull that part of the verse out of its context and they claim, for example, if somebody belongs to a religion in which you kill infidels and they're hunting down Christians, if they're doing it in love for their God and they don't know the Christian faith, then it's okay, they'll be saved. That's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. We can see two contrasts right away. And I'm going to use, the first is the Sanhedrin. Now, if we go back to Jesus' early days in his public ministry, three years before his crucifixion, a member of the Sanhedrin, one who will later not go along with the plot to murder Jesus, Nicodemus, 
meets with Jesus at night. And this is John chapter 3, and this is where we get the great summary of the entire Bible, John 3.16. But Nicodemus says, We know that you are from God, for no one could do the miracles you are doing unless he were sent by God. Who's the we? It's just Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus is talking about the Sanhedrin. They knew his miracles. They even confessed he saved others. They knew Jesus was from God. They knew better. And they acted against the word of God, knowing they were working against it, because Jesus' ministry threatened their cush positions. The Apostle Paul became the guard dog, before he was the Apostle Paul, for that Sanhedrin. But his point is, he actually thought he was working in accord with the word of God, so he was still sinning, but he was not committing the sin yet of hardening his heart against God as the Sanhedrin had done, knowing that they were sinning against someone that at least was sent by God. Brothers and sisters in Christ. The amazing thing is, when God steps in the way, Jesus, and he appears to the apostle Paul, and then Saul, on the road to Damascus, he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Not why are you going after my flock? When you're attacking my sheep, you're attacking me. Who are you, Lord? I am Christ Jesus, your Lord and Savior. And then God tells one of his uh, disciples, not in the meaning of 12, like Peter and James and all them. He tells him, Annas, I want you to baptize a man. And what's his response? <laughs> Lord, I, I know you're all knowing. Something doesn't add up here. This guy's killing Christians. You want me to stand before him? Yes. This is one of my lost sheep. It is not the one the Christian church would choose out, is it? Because he was killing Christians. But he's the one the Lord had gone after as a lost sheep. And brothers and sisters in Christ, it is amazing how God had worked the gifts of the Apostle Paul for you and I. Recall, the other apostles, they weren't studying to be rabbis. They weren't even Levites, in other words, priests. God did that for a reason and for his glory. But in Paul's case, he's the one who was studying under the great rabbi Gamaliel is the one who has major portions of the Old Testament memorized. And he's the one that's sent out to the Gentiles. He had a zeal for the word of the Lord and he thought he was protecting the word of the Lord. As it turns out being all the word of the Lord was pointing to Christ and he had missed it. But after his conversion, he says in verse 12, I continue having gratitude to Christ Jesus, my Lord, who empowered me because he considered me faithful and placed me into service. God knew he'd be very faithful with the word. And even God bless him. I love the apostle Peter. When the apostle Peter screws up and he's teaching a work righteousness by eating this uh, with the Jews and the ceremonial laws of cleanliness in Antioch, it's Paul, who stands up and is faithful to the word of God and says, Peter, dear brother, you are setting an example that's contrary to the word you teach. And of course, Peter repents. We're told in verse 14, after pointing out what a rotten person he was, he wasn't the guy you would want in your church, he says. 
However, the grace of our Lord overflowed exceedingly with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Only God can take a person who is hating his church and pour his Holy Spirit into their heart. And then that person, like a cup overflowing, will overflow with God's love. Love for God, love for their fellow human being with faith and all that only in Christ Jesus. Not faith in another false prophet, not faith in their works, not faith in look at how great God has made me. Only in Christ Jesus are this love and faith. And so the Apostle Paul says the trustworthy statement and worthy of all acceptance is Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I myself continue being the foremost. Wait a minute. The Apostle Paul, he even has a gift. He doesn't struggle at all, for example, it seems with the lust. He never gets married. We call it the gift of Paul. How can he be the foremost of sinners? He's not rotting away in prison for being a criminal. He's not crucified. Because he hated the Lord. Because he was hunting down the Lord's flock. So brothers and sisters in Christ, what does it look like when our Savior goes after a lost sheep? Often it's not a sheep that you or I would want in the flock. So let me ask you a question to search in your heart. What if a convicted child molester walked into our church? Said, I've done my time. I still struggle with my sin. I see it's against the law. I struggle. Would we accept them? What if a prostitute came into our church? What if somebody who had been a member of the church and had stolen thousands and thousands of dollars when the church desperately needed those offerings to pay the heating bill? Would we forgive them? Now, certainly in some of those examples in good stewardship, we would in love not give them that temptation by making them treasurer or making them our youth group leader. But Jesus came... For sinners. The tax collectors and prostitutes were entering ahead of those self-righteous Pharisees. What does it look like when our Savior goes after a lost sheep? Often not a sheep that you or I in our sinful nature would want in the flock. But God washes them clean and makes them His sheep. And so the Apostle Paul says in verse 16, But for this reason I was shown mercy. So that Christ Jesus could clearly demonstrate all his long suffering in me, the foremost of sinners, resulting in an example for those who are about to believe upon Christ for the goal of everlasting life. If we want to hold somebody's sin against them, are they guilty of killing Christians? God used the Apostle Paul as an example. It is faith that God puts in our hearts that He is the Good Shepherd, that He's the Savior that saves us. That's the whole goal. And and the Greek word He uses there for an example. You know, sometimes children, they can take clear paper and they put it over a picture and they're able to trace it out. Well, adults do that too. An example. Paul certainly left his sin behind. He certainly shone the glory of the Lord. But Paul became valuable above and beyond his crimes against the church, didn't he? The good shepherd saw him as a precious sheep and made him a member of his flock. And then the flock benefited. Read the New Testament. Look at how much of it is written by the Apostle Paul. Look at in Acts how much of it is about the work of the Apostle Paul. 
Paul, who was a great sinner killing Christians, not only was made a precious sheep to the Lord, he was made valuable to the flock. And so we can take that prostitute who comes into our church and share the word of God and welcome them. And we can see them blossom and see the gifts God has given them grow in our church. This is the sad thing, and I'm preaching to the choir today. Members who don't come to church regularly, who stay away, sadly, they don't understand. They're not being nourished by our gifts but they're also robbing us of the gifts God has given to them to help his flock. But brothers and sisters in Christ, here again asking that question, what does it look like when our Savior goes after a lost sheep? Looking at the Apostle Paul's conversion, we see the sheep is made valuable to the shepherd and to the herd. As I've said, the Apostle Paul, he did more ministry than any of the other disciples as far as I can tell. I mean, he starts in Antioch and he may have made it as far as Spain. Get a map, figure out how many miles he covered. Look at how much gospel was spread through him. Look at better than 50%, 60, 70% of the New Testament is written by the Apostle Paul. Does he turn around and brag? Look at how good I am. Oh, yeah. Oh, God made me the big guy. Oh, no, he says. Now to the king of the ages, the imperishable, invisible and only God be honor and glory to the ages of all ages. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, I have been around Christians who have bragged about the things they've done, bragged about all the gifts they have. And then they end by saying, but to God be the glory. That seems to be a pious platitude in which they're saying, Look at how great I am, but I'll make it sound like I understand I shouldn't be bragging on myself. That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying. His upbringing, his studying to be a rabbi, his access to the scriptures in which he would be able to memorize as they did sections, entire books of the Old Testament. That was God's hand at work in advance. The gifts that he had, the understanding of Scripture, the work he did in the Gentiles, the ability, for example, to get stoned, literally have people throw rocks at him and be able to get up and walk away. Those were all God's glory at work. And so it is, brothers and sisters in Christ, that God is glorified by his grace to the sheep. His grace is his love and forgiveness, and then it shines through us. You and I don't have to be the Apostle Paul and that child molester or or prostitute or thief who comes into our congregation when they know the Lord and desperately cling to his love and forgiveness as only God can give them the power to do. His grace shines through them. Anytime, whether it's you or I or somebody who commits a sin that we don't struggle with and we think is awful, when a sinner lives in and through the grace that they have received from God, then God is glorified. And he calls you to do that in your daily life and your vocations. So I asked you the question, what does it look like when our Savior goes after a lost sheep? And we answered that in today's text with three answers. It's often not a sheep that you or I would want in the flock, but that sheep is made valuable to the shepherd and to the herd. And God is glorified by his grace to his sheep. Amen. Now, to him who is able, according to the power that is at work within us, to do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations.
forever and ever. Amen.